Hello, and welcome to the Film Design Podcast. I'm your host, Max Lincoln. Mark Connell is a production designer for commercials, music videos, and fashion films. His clients include Pandora, Cartier, MS, and The Chemical Brothers. So yeah, I am Mark Connell. I am a production designer and I generally work within the field of music videos, um, commercials and fashion film, which is a sort of lesser known entity these days. But I suppose it's, um, yeah, also goes within the world of commercials. Cool. And how did you get to where you are now? Well, it was a long rambling kind of life randomness, like a lot of us in the art department. I I sort of see us all as kind of pirates, if you, in a way. But um, actually, um, I can leave a lot of it out because the podcast is not long enough to hear all of my my life story. But I'll pick it up where I moved to London to to do architecture. I had a background in boat building. I studied boat building. Um, I did a degree in, in yacht design. Um, naval architecture essentially Um, and then ended up uh, in London working for an architectural firm as a model maker and on on the side I was kind of building props um, delivering these props to set uh, putting them in front of the camera all clean and telling the production how much they cost and um, and one thing led to another someone told me that wasn't actually a job so I was like wow that's a job that seems like a good job to me and and eventually um that became my full-time profession and 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 yeah the rest is history so have you ever had to do some boat design in your production design work have the two ever crossed paths well uh literally no <laughs> technically yes yeah. you know there's lots of similarities of course. yeah there's a lot of similarities but the two the two things that you learn from from say boat building versus model making is making something float versus faking something, if you know what I mean. So those two things are very important in production design because sometimes you have to make something stand up and sometimes you have to make something look like something, you know? So those two technical things I, th- I think are, are useful to know. Okay. So when you're starting a brand new job, let's say that it kind of toes the line between a fashion film and a commercial, for example, like the Pandora job you did, um, how do you begin in terms of research and kind of create, you know, starting your creative ideas off? Well, I think that's a good point. You know, with Pandora, um, we built worlds, you know, we, we created um, landscapes and worlds that maybe didn't exist, you know, and I think that's what's exciting for us in production design and art department communities. You know, we love to build worlds. Um, so, it really depends on the on the on the on the on the reference point, but if I'm lucky enough to get a brief that creates that, that involves creating a world, then generally I'm happiest. Um, so yeah, normally it would start with a reference point. Images, you know, um, I've just actually got off a call with um, a director that I work with a lot, and we were just going over mood boards. You know, we were looking at my day's work, which is a few sketches and about six pages of mood boards, and. 
and you just talk them over, you know, and see which ones we like, which ones are relevant, which ones aren't. And, and from that, you know, I feel like confident to go and start designing. Okay. So working with a director, say it's someone that you've never, you've never quite met before and you, you don't have that knowledge of their taste. How do you kind of hit a brief and try and cater for their, their vibes on, let's say, something slightly more creative, like one of the more music video fashion film bases? Well, again, I think maybe there's a little bit of casting involved because they hopefully have chosen the right person to work for them. They've checked your reel and you're relevant um, to their uh, material. I think there's a lot of that in filmmaking, you know, um, for all heads of department, you'll get the right stylist, the right DOP that, that for the brief given. So hopefully you're already off to a good start. And, you know, normally I would have done a bit of research, check their reel, uh, check their work. Um, maybe you would have had a treatment in advance. So you might have got a good understanding of what people want to achieve and what the intention of the director is. You know, treatments are very important in the music video world uh, and very important in the commercial world, you know, much more important than, say, in drama. Well, I've seen them in drama and, and feature films, but they're not as lent on as heavily as they are in um, in music videos and commercials. So, you know, you've you've made the director happy with your vibe but the agency are often more heavily involved than, say, a commercial. How do you navigate working with briefs and agencies and kind of changing your style to adapt to, I guess, the brand um, guidelines? Well, well, that's 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 the that's the interesting thing, and and that's maybe where the word designer comes in. You know, we're production designers, um, we're not production artists necessarily. You know, and and sometimes different brands have um, more and less involvement and different agencies have more and less involvement and different projects um, will come under more scrutiny than others. Uh, as you know, Max, we've worked together a lot mm. and and um, I wouldn't say any one job has been exactly the same, but um, depending on the size of the brand, that would probably dictate whether they have a really big opinion on, on, what, on what, what their brand looks like. You know, uh, say a fashion brand, for instance, um, uh, are we good naming brands on your podcast? Um, I suppose we're fine, aren't we? Yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> as long as it's not um, NDA related, I think it's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, like, uh, you know, I think H&M I did a lot of work for, and, and I always found that they were, had loads of opinions about everything, you know? Like every bit of furniture came under scrutiny because it was in their world. You know, they, they care a lot about their aesthetic. Um, so so it re- all I'm, I'm saying is it really depends on the project. Um, but yes, you do need to be equipped to deal with that side of it. And actually, I would say that that's maybe what makes commercial production designers a little bit different to feature film production designers. You maybe have to have a little bit of a corporate edge to you. Like, you have to learn sometimes not to take it to heart. And that is a learning thing. Maybe it takes time, you know, but um, but sometimes you have to realize that someone's going to rip up your... Uh, your designs and you're gonna to have to start again and you just you just gotta crack on. So say someone has ripped up your designs um, and you're now at a point where the references that you thought were correct turn out to be completely wrong for whatever reason. How do you start again and find a brand new route to meet their design, their desire rather? Well, first of all, I think like getting your designs ripped off is probably like incredibly helpful to you occasionally. Like I think like if someone doesn't rip up your designs for you, you should be ripping up your own designs, like metaphorically speaking, you know, like you need to question it. And actually having an easy ride, you know, the old saying, uh, calm seas never made a 
a good sailor and all that sort of situation. It's like, I actually really have to check myself if I get creative club lunch. You know, occasionally I, I will have to schedule time to criticize myself, to critique myself, critique my own work, you know. So, so like I think, first of all, it's healthy. And second of all, um, you, you just go and punch something, preferably a soft wall or, or something that won't damage yourself, you know, let, let, let it out, go for a walk and come back and just start again. Try and work out ways of finding out what people want. That's what a, that's what a, that's what an efficient designer will do. You'll present it in a way that you're, you know, that you're, you know, for a, say in a mood board, you're not just showing stuff that you think's cool. You might be putting little things in there that you want them to say they don't like. You might be putting things in there that you want them to pick up on conversation points. So, for me, I'm always sort of trying to give them these options that I can try and eke out and read their minds a little bit. That makes sense. So you've worked on jobs all over the world, really, but there's been a lot in Eastern Europe, for example. And, um, you know, what do you enjoy about working abroad? Like, how do you find it differentiates from the UK? Um, well, I guess what are your top tips for, you know, moving countries and working elsewhere? Yeah, well, I think film industries, we're travelers, aren't we? We love to get out and about and film is shot all over the world. So generally, I think an element of travel comes to all of us in the movie making business, you know, whatever there's moving pictures, you've probably filmed. The reality of the situation is that it comes down to economics. And, you know, especially in the art department, we like to spend a lot of money. We like, to, you know, it's not, it's it's expensive to build sets. It's expensive to hire props. So we do end up in places that we get better value. And that means that you're going to have to adapt to that culture. Um, look, that you, I could go on for hours easily on about like the nuances of working in different countries. And the, the bottom line is it doesn't matter like the new, the, the small details. You just have to go with a good attitude. Um, expect the worst, plan for the best. You know, communicate as clearly as you can. Say thank you. It doesn't hurt to say thank you. You know, appreciate the people and appreciate the human contact, you know, because for me to go out and hang out with different people in there and, you know, go to Mexico and eat fish taco with my art director, you know, like that for me is a highlight of the job, you know. So if you get the, um, if you're, if you're, if you're lucky enough to travel, enjoy it, you know, like enjoy it respect the people you're with, communicate as clearly as you can, and, and it should be fine. So, you know, you're back in the UK, you've got your team, um, and you're looking for some fresh blood, like some new assistants. What do you look for in an assistant to, you know, get a second job with you, for example? Well, as you know, Max, you're a big part of my team here, and we work together a lot, and we're constantly putting together teams for different jobs that require different skills, but, you know, you and I share a passion for for um like meeting new people and giving people a leg up as we got you know like we were probably um lucky enough to meet the right person at the right time i know other people on your podcast as well you know like noam you know we've all met at different types of places in our career and we're very much appreciative to each other's help i think that's that's a beautiful thing about work and a beautiful thing about our departments and i forgot what the question was um, but <laughs> what yeah. do you look for? so I'll, 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 I'll take it down. Oh yeah, what do I look level. for in a, in so an say assistant? You get, um, yeah, a work experience person come on, um, or you know more of a trainee. What do you look for in kind of qualities to want to have them back? 
I mean, it's got to start with just a good attitude, hasn't it? Mm. A good old-fashioned can-do attitude. You know, it's the it's the classic, isn't it, on a film set? I don't, you know, um, when an assistant asks when what time's lunch or something along these lines. You know, it's the I mean, that's a cliche, isn't it? But yeah. you know, instantly you kind of there's a that's a that's a tick against the name, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like I don't remember ever asking when lunch is because you just kind of like I know it sounds corny, but you're kind of you know you you you're kind of have boundless energy for you're looking for passion mm. i suppose max is, is what i'm getting at you're looking for a little bit of passion yeah it's it's a funny one because often on set when say you've got four assistants and you only actually need one of them to be doing something what do the other three do and i guess it's it can be quite hard to show that you're on the ball but you know it's that moment when you do something the shit hits the fan and you need people and one of them's out there having a fag and not really paying attention is the <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i think like everything right it's like every, anything any work situation if you show a good attitude and and all that sort of thing then that's a big part of it and like you know rest can be learned i think just enthusiasm helps a lot i think because the thing is like we need to show enthusiasm continuously and i and i will tomorrow morning and will do in 10 years time if I'm still working. So it's like, if you don't have it from day one, then how are you going to have it at day 10 years down the line, you know? Mm. So, you know, this is a very new part of your, your work life, but you've recently moved out of London. Um, how do you feel about no longer being a London designer? And how do you think it's going to affect things? Like what are your general thoughts? Yeah, it's an interesting one. That's really really relevant to me at the moment i just moved out to to the countryside with my family and and um there's certain anxieties that come with that you know um but a lot of thinking about it a lot of analyzing it and deciding trying to work out whether it's the right thing and 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 i think you know um it it's really what's right for you you know i, I don't think it's 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 the right thing for everybody it, it wouldn't have been right for me five years ago when i was you know really needing to work a lot more and meet people maybe maybe i'm on larger jobs now so it allows this and also technology you know like it's a cliche but it's totally changed things and and certainly you know with the covid situation people are much more open to it i mean look we in in film we're always working remote anyway right we're freelancers at heart so we, we've been working from home and what have you know at not and and um everyone in all departments in the art department are probably juggling a baby and doing a spreadsheet and you know, picking up the shopping and picking up some props, you know, it's like, it's, it's in our world of work and, and life are very intertwined much more than your average sort of city, um, nine to five type person. So I think we are in a place now where you can be anywhere and you can, you can work, um, anywhere basically right now. So I think I've actually timing wise, it's been pretty lucky Mm. for me. Especially um, with um, yeah. COVID and no one's actually allowed to be near each other anyway. You might as well be living in Cornwall or Devon or anywhere, really. Yeah, I was just talking to a producer, actually, that lives out of town, lives in the West Country and really nice guy, really busy guy as well. And he was saying that he just did like three jobs where he didn't actually meet anyone. Wow. You know, he just pieced them together and he sort of delivered them and for an, for, for an overseas client. And, and that was how he did it, you know, so... Obviously, he's feeling quite good about living in the West Country right now, you know? Yeah, I mean... Um, not I'm... trying to, like, diss people that live in London, Max, you know? like I know. that's. I mean, that... it's, um, <laughs> I've been definitely jealous of everyone going on beautiful country walks 
um, as much as I love my area, it's not quite as tranquil as it could be from time to time. Yeah, I love London too, man. Still, I'm a Londoner, you know, and I um, love the diversity and everything about London and it's a hard time right now. And I, my heart sort of goes out to London right now because it's, you know, we've seen such ups and downs, haven't we, in London? We've seen, you know, the Hackney riots. And then I think if my timeline's not right, it was the Olympics and it was all like up and then and now's, mm. now's a down, you know, and, and, and um, they'll be up and up again, for sure. Mm. Absolutely, especially as things start to, you know, become more busy. So you've already started working during quarantine, um, or I guess during the extended lockdown period. Um, could you just talk about what it was like and, you know, how you found it? Um, love to hear more. Yeah, so I've, I've been like tuned into the whole COVID debate, like everybody else has from a professional point of view, been listening to the Zoom calls and all that stuff and, and trying to educate myself on what's required and, and taking that to set, you know, and, and like, yeah, I did do a job and, and um, the other day on a location of all things, we thought we would never shoot locations again, but my first job back was locations. And, and um, it was actually fine. It was great. It was like a normal shoot, but we wore face masks and we respected each other's space and we didn't have too many people on set, which we don't do anyway, especially if we're working with um, sensitive material or celebrities, what have you. We try and minimize our, our people on set. And there was a bit of sterilization and, and there was a little bit of, um, on that particular job, there was a little bit of understanding it wasn't as it wasn't in this case as high pressured, you know, with regards to um, what was required. We understood that it would take longer. For instance, we shot probably what you could shoot in what one day in two days, you know. So so it was good. It was a great first um, jaunt back, and my there was a lot of respect to the COVID situation, but in reality, it wasn't that much different. Okay, well that's quite refreshing to hear. Um, so one of the topics I preemptively talked to you about um which i wanted to discuss so i'm dyslexic as you and you know you've obviously got into a part of your career where you've made the dyslexia work and kind of you know you found coping mechanisms as as all of us do in one way or another um you know i'd love to hear how you've managed to deal with being dyslexic and being a production designer yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I think, how I many? Gosh, how many of us are dyslexic in the <laughs> art department? Probably most of them, but you know, it's still worth. Um, yeah, yeah, mostly, I'd say, like, yeah, definitely. Like statistically, if it was eighty percent, I'd be not surprised. Mm. You know, like we're so lucky that that these creative jobs exist. Um, when I was growing up in Devon, didn't know about these jobs, and 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 that I had the usual thing that most dyslexic people said. You know, like we just sort of often weren't into school because we thought we weren't going to succeed academically, you know, and that was true. I couldn't ex- succeed academically and it was frustration, you know, so led to bad behavior. And um, like a lot of us, you know, and we took solace in our friends and partying and music and what have not. And, and then, and, and yeah, sure. Like when I found the art department and I found um, a job being a production designer, art director, I was amazed that the skills that I did have were useful, you know, like making things, problem solving, having an eye, because dyslexic people, we do things with our eyes. We don't just do things with our eyes as well. Like we do things with our instincts. You know, dyslexic people maybe have a heightened level of instinctual um, emotions. You know, we're, we're all artists are emotional, they say. And it's true, you know, we, we use our emotions to come up with creative decision making. So 
I felt very well equipped as a dyslexic person to do art department. It definitely helped me. It was just having that lucky sort of um, the luck to find it, you know. So and that's why we it's really important and it's actually our duty, you might say, to, to, to sort of bring other people into the art department and, and show them um, to show them that, you know, there's there's these jobs that their skill set can be very useful. Yeah. I, I know that wasn't your question. Your question was like, what, how have I found systems to, yeah. to in, and stuff to, to sort of, um, to, um, to, to help me quote. But, but I think the answer to that is, um, for dyslexic people, it's very easy, but if you're not dyslexic, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand, but you find ways around, don't yeah. you? You find hacks, exactly. you find, you know, you find, um, a hack. So there's lots of things I can't do. The list of things I can't do is long, you know? And that list could get in my way, right? It could be a wall. But the things I can do enable me to jump over that wall. I just need to make sure I've got a ladder to get over it and whatever I need, you know, some good pair of shoes or whatever. You know, I need to make sure I've got tools, help. I need to be honest with myself that there's things I can't do. I need help with those things. And if I, if I can get help with those things, then it, then it allows me to do the rest of it. You know, and it, do you know what? And I could, as you can tell, I am quite infused by this subject. I mean, as am I. Yeah. A, <laughs> it, it, it's like, you know, I, I, I could talk about it forever. It's like, it's, um, it's, it, it, it's, it's a tricky one, but it's about it, it, what I'm, the thing I'm stuttering about is that it can be frustrating being dyslexic. You can beat yourself up about it. You know, you can say, I'm not good enough to do my job, to be compared to my peers and all that stuff. Like that's an easy way to think about it when you're dyslexic. You often feel it like inadequate, you know, but the truth is I would like to think that I've proven to myself that I'm not inadequate. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That the, the, the not having academic skills, it just doesn't, doesn't define you. Yeah. You know, I that's agree. Important I think thing. it's um, especially the way that the school system works with a very kind of, um, uh, exam based system it, it really doesn't work especially if you know you're dyslexic or dyspraxic or have you know one of those other kind of neurodiverse issues um i guess no anyway any of those issues yeah big time um but yeah what's great about the art department is you can you know that email you can get like grammarly or you can have some kind of spelling check thing um thankfully we're not writing essays most of the time um, yeah you know, uh, and then the rest of it, you know, if you can do a sketch that tells a story of what you need to be telling, you don't necessarily have to write a big description about it. You can just put some pictures, you know, raid Pinterest and visually show what you're trying to achieve, which is quite good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know what, like I was thinking about this earlier and like another boring response to this or a more boring response to mm. this is that is Apple. You mm. know, like we should, we've got, we should thank old Steve Jobs, you know, like on my phone, I have like voice dictation. Mm. Wow. What a game changer for me. I can write uh, the word vinyl and talk about composite, you know, composites and, you know, I can get technical now in my mm. chats, you know, where, where sometimes I might have like, you might have got an email to me just very simple because, you know, it's like I didn't was scared to use the words. But now, you know, I think the, the voice dictation, you get like a whole novel from me now, <laughs> you know, due to, to, you know, and you don't want to say too much as well. That's the thing is there's not always, like you say, a picture can paint a thousand words sometimes. You don't need to 
to be writing essays about stuff all the time. Mm. Yeah, it's very true. Um, yeah, no, it's great and really good to talk about. Um, so when you, for example, get a brand new project, um, you know, let's say just a commercial just for ease, how do you come up with a budget? Do you find that the producer gives you a budget and then you just try and make that work? Or do you kind of be like, right, this is going to cost X amount, here you go, producer, what do you think? What kind of works? Yeah, well, I think you could probably answer this question better than I. You know, you've done a million budgets with me. Uh, you and I did one today, in fact. I thought of, or maybe even yesterday. We've done a couple in the last week, even. And um, it's different every time, you know, like for the budding art director that gets given a brief. I imagine the budget is something that gives him a heart attack. I imagine designing the set and selecting props is probably the bit that they knew they were going to do, but the budget bit was a, is a little bit scary, right? So mm. it's a relevant thing to talk about because it is scary. But um, I always didn't really, you know, the thing is people just want to know, don't they? They want transparency. They want to see it all laid out in lines. And that's it really, you know, it's like if someone asked me to do a task, the first thing you do is lay it all out, your manning and then your makes and like your props, etc. just line by line it, you know, and, and even if someone gives you, and this is why I say that if someone gives you an amount, you still line by line it, you know, still put it down. Don't be honest about things. You can't say things are more expensive than they should be. And you can't, you can't undersell it. I think that then most people initially will underprice something, you know, and that's, it's deadly, man. I remember my first couple of art department jobs. I remember once thinking, you know, I might have to run away. You know, I might have to do a runner. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I might have to book a flight out of here. I'm going to be so over budget, you know, and I bet there's every, every young art department, every young art director or assistant art director, set design, every person in the art department has had to run a budget has felt that horrible feeling mm. of going over budget. And, the feeling that nobody, that it's all on you and all that sort of stuff. Well, I don't know. I think, the, I think, I think it's about being very honest with yourself and being very honest with your production. And I find it quite cathartic to, to put it all in a budget as you do, you know, and say to someone, look, it's all there in black and white. If you're not happy with the figures, then let's work out what we don't need, mm. you know? Yeah, because you can see that it's very on? fair mm. exactly I think it's like and that is easy to do if you've done your homework you know if you've made sure you've checked some prices and it's all wrote there and it's got it's clearly labelled and, and you've checked your APA rates for all your crew and it, you've put the right amount of days and you've checked that against the calendar you know you've done all the boring work When then when you're approached by said producer to say like is this really as low as you can get it you can confidently say yes, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I Going to, like, I went to film school and, you know, I did an art foundation and all that, but not at any point did I think that my brief stint of doing IT at some point at secondary school and learning how to do Excel would be one of the most useful parts of my job. I mean, I could barely even remember it anyway, but <laughs> I think I spend more time on Excel balancing and trying to make it work for you know, suiting what you need and suiting what the, the you know, the director, the client, all the rest of them need. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I would say to many budding art directors to make Excel your friend and <laughs> just spend some time playing with it. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, it's commu- if you can com- clearly communicate numbers and, and you know, like budgets can be creative. Uh, obscure thing to say, maybe. Mm. No, I agree. Mine are certainly colourful enough. <laughs> <laughs> they look great. They look great. The palette, yeah, the palette is considered for sure. Um, it is a communication. Yeah. But even the decision making, right? Like yeah. how you structure... What I mean is, I suppose, is that spending the money in the right place in the art department is an art mm. in itself. Spending money on things you don't need and then not it not affecting the end result, the end aesthetic, that's, that's, that's bad news, right? It's like everything that you spend, you want to see it. I do, you do, because you want to make things that look cool, right? Mm. So that's where I think like really budgeting is 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 your enemy like you hate it but but you also want to make it your friend because if you can spend the money the right way then your work's going to look better essentially yeah yeah absolutely and um i guess it's also uh yeah just trying to make sure that if you do get those surprises um that you know actually the chair that you need is going to cost double the amount that you can cater for it and it's not going to tank you over and you're going to have to go to the producer and be like I'm so sorry, but dot, 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 you know. Um, yeah, we're humans, aren't we? Yeah. That's the thing. We're not calculators. We're not computers. It's the classic thing, isn't it, on a tech scout when some said producer, production manager, bless them. We're not dissing them in this podcast that we love them. But they is like, um, how much does that cost? And you look at them and you think, you turn sideways and you with a squint in your eye and you say, I'm not a human calculator. I don't know how much that costs. Yeah. I'm going to have to work that out. I'll get back to you. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's like that. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so what would you say is one of your favorite parts about the job? Um, well, mm, mm, interesting. Probably the same as everyone else, you know, like the creation of something. We're all blessed, aren't we? To see our work, mm. physically see our work. We're greedy, I think. I'm greedy. I love to, I don't have... I like to create things, make things, and I'm not satisfied with just making one thing. I'm not just satisfied with painting one thing. I, if I get the opportunity to make 50 things at once, then I'm happier in my work. I love to, I love to make things. So for me, um, it's the creation of things, um, whether it be models or sets or props. I love making things. Uh, and then second of all is the vibe, you know, the people. I know it's everyone's going to say this. And I'm not saying that everyone in film is the best friendly people in the world. It's like, it's like the world, right? It's a cross section of, of people, but generally there's a lot of cool people in film. You know, there's a lot of good people, good intentions, good lives, good stories, good vibes, you know? So it's those two things. Nice. Um, do you have a job from the last year that was a real big favorite of yours that you'd like to talk about some of the, I guess some of the, I don't know, is things I like about him. Yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. I don't know, like, yeah, well, um, I feel fortunate, actually. I think we've all done a lot of reflection, haven't we, over the last three months? We've mm. had the opportunity. And when we look at our calendar, I look at, look at the calendar, I look at our website, I look at the work we've done over the last year, and I think, gosh, we were just so took it for granted, didn't we, doing all these projects, you know? Um, we really did. We really did. It was, I think last year was, it's crazy busy and sort of, you know, that reflected to COVID times. It's, it's crazy, but no, I'm lucky enough to do a lot of fun work, you know, like I am. And 
so I, it's hard to pinpoint one. I loved Pandora, which we talked about. Yeah. Um, if anybody um, does not know what this Pandora is, then go on www.markconnell.tv and you will see a pink landscape and for the jewelry brand Pandora. And yeah, it was beautiful. We built it in the Ukraine, one of my favorite art departments out there with radioactive films. Big shout out, Darko. Like it's amazing art departments out there. Lots of craft people. Um, they have time, you know, to get it right because labor is a bit cheaper. So we, we can be on the stages a bit longer. And we built these beautiful landscapes, you know, and and we spent time spraying grass, you know, and, and we found different shapes, grasses, and we'd spray them in different colors and work out the right tonalities and we'd group them together. And it took weeks, you know, we built everything from scratch. We built trees, you know, and, you know, when you see, you know, when you draw a tree in your set designs and then, and then you go on set and you're like, how oh, the guy's going to build that tree, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you, are they going to bring in a real tree? Are they going to, you know, et cetera. And, and then you see them build a frame and wrap it with cardboard and, and then put filler over the cardboard and then attach real branches to it and then find all this real bark and put the real bark on it, you know, and then they f- more filling and more painting and the moss goes on. You're like, damn, that's a real tree. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's the most fun thing in the world, you know? So for me, building those landscapes in Kiev with radioactive for Pandora, that was definitely a massive highlight. That was one. Um, another one, if we've got time, I don't yeah, know course. if you have t- a time limit, is um, uh, working with mm, director I work with a lot at the moment, Henry Schofield. Mm-hmm. And we did a video just before lockdown that was released during lockdown, which uh, break my heart with, for Delupa, which we actually built in Poland um, with a um, great production company out there in, in, in the studios and Sophia, uh, huge filmmakers up there. They've got like big Hollywood capabilities out there, huge back lots. You know, we did a opening scene with 40 action vehicles with Delupa on top of a car doing her bit. We lit every single wi- window in the back lot that was a New York back lot. Sorry, I should explain that. And uh, with pink and magentas and scions and had 40 cars there, which we would never do in London, right? That mm. would yeah, do the math. Yeah, image now and like, you know, you've got New York taxis, you've got like some, I mean, it's hard to tell, but maybe some muscle cars. It's, it's a mad combination of um, vehicles there. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I want all the cars to be like a mixture of New York and also like 90s boy racer. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I want I want some Maris yeah. Cosworths. I want some Novas, you know, because yeah. it's like that a bit. It's nostalgia. It's future nostalgia was the album and, and like the 90s is oh so cool, right? So mm. it was kind of hitting those trends. And But it was it was really fun. And that was just the opening two seconds, I think, you know, and then it went into into like set build after set build and transitions. Henry... Schofield, big shout out, Henry Schofield is like a sort of modern day Gondry, if you will, for me. You know, I think he would love to hear that said about him. But, you know, he's about camera transitions and marrying up post-production, which is actually probably a really good point to talk about that. Because, yeah, absolutely. What the, you know, what, what like a modern production designer has to understand these days is like where he stands in the filmmaking process. And it's not what it was even five years ago. You know, you really need to understand post. You need to have a great relationship with post production supervisors and make sure that they get what they need. And production design can really, can really, um, if you see yourself as the designer of the whole thing, that's a really good place to start. No one's going to tell you to get back in your box. They're going to say thanks mm. for taking on more responsibility. So when I start a project, like I like to think. I'm sort of designing the world. So 
I'm not going to say to the post guy, you know, what did you guys want to do? It's like, you know, if you put your foot forward and then it becomes a collaboration, you know? Mm. So it's a really important part of filmmaking right now is like, just because you've designed it, it doesn't mean you're going to shoot it. But the rest of the team are going to be appreciative that you've designed the world and then they're going to take the rest into post-production. So understanding post-production is super important. It's also not that different to the principles that we know as art department. We know about scenic backdrops. We know about diminished scale. We know about background, foreground, mid-ground. We know about splicing our mid-ground with our backdrop. You know, it's a... Those simple principles that we learn on set by building sets are very, very apply. Um, you can certainly apply to post-production. You know, like there's has to be these points where the real world happens, and the and then the uh, the post-production world takes over. And I think as a production designer, you can really help with that process. And also interaction with things. So rigs. You know, like um, the person picks up a post-production telescope hmm. you know and they open it up and it opens up in a very specific way well in the art department now a role would be to make a rig that clicks out in the same way that they want it to click out in post-production if that doesn't sound too obscure so again don't think just because it's not in camera that the art department don't have something to do with it hmm. you know you yeah. can definitely aid the process I think that's really interesting so, because yeah. it's I mean, it, it, I guess many could go with the assumption that the designer would just like leave the rest to them, but then you get no creative control as to what the end result would be, which would be quite frustrating. Um, yeah, and you have t- things in your toolbox that help that specific, can specifically solve that problem if you if you so want to, you know. So, like with Henry's job there with Dilupa, you know, there's all these um, camera transitions, you know, that happen where she's on a plane and the plane back of the plane breaks off and she shoots out you know so you're working with wires you're working with practical things you're shooting plates mm. you're shooting probably plates of the chair on its own on green you know you kind of need to know what needs to be shot so you can provide it for the production you know so that's fun and it's a learning process you know i'm not saying i like know all that stuff it's it's a constant evolution when you're on a job you're kind of learning and it's exciting and when I'm with shooting with Henry and doing a job like that I think we're all pushing ourselves and we're all learning together and and so so they're very very satisfying jobs to do as well very hard to do for sure like yeah. it's challenging and sometimes you definitely have your moments where you don't you don't know that you're um, achieving it but but they're very um, satisfying when you do so in that um, break my heart video um, there are some beds that slide across the back of the room how did you achieve those yeah, that was that's a, that's a cool one, actually, a good example. Like, um, the room was a room set. Um, again, check it out. It's on my website. Um, you know, there's a room set and then there's a, there's a bathroom. So the room, the beds are in front of a window. And actually behind the window was a rear projection screen. We used a rear projection screen because we wanted that, like, quality of light that you get from rear projections. And then I found a bunch of landscapes, I think L.A., Seoul, New York, Hoxton, that would scroll you know, and I literally had an operator on a projector scrolling through my images and then all the images that then were my images, you know, Henry selected them. And then the um, beds, we got like, you know, that they'd be great if they were really expensive beds, but of course we went to Ikea because that's where we can get some cheap beds. We got like four Ikea beds and dressed them all differently as different characters. Then we got the SFX guys in to, to see if we could put them on rails. We put them on rails, essentially like a huge dolly rail um, with a wire in between. And then we worked on the timings. You know, so 
Um, the floor plan was quite interesting of the studio. It was near. It was very near to a plane. And then I started to realize actually, if I have four beds next to each other, um, like how much space am I going to need in the studio to achieve them all tracking through in front of the window? You know, it's actually it ends up quite a long chain train of beds and. So, so you've got to be all over your 3D models in your in your um, in your studio plans in that case, um, and yeah, and basically uh, it was simple. Like you know, as as the scene started, there was a guy pulling the beds on a rope, and 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 the actors doing their thing, and and to give the impression that that the um, that it was the room was changing, you know. But but essentially, you know, it's in camera, it's pretty lo-fi, and hopefully that's the charm of it. Mm. I think I, so. I'm, I'm a massive, yeah. I'm a huge fan of rear projection, and um, like you know, you mentioned Gondry, and that's something that he's he's a big fan of. I know, in for example, Science of Sleep, where um, the um, it looks like he's swimming through a church, but he's literally in yeah. a tang of water with a rear projection behind of a church. Um, you know, oh like nice. That. I need to check that. I don't know yeah, that bit. I don't know that bit. The yeah. science of I think it's if it's not in the Science of Sleep, it's in a newer one he did after that. Um, with Audrey Tattoo, it's um, it's, it's in one oh, he's the, the best, other, isn't he? But, um, yeah. Definitely I mean, he's out. the best, isn't he? Yeah. And like, if any, if this is, if, if if any students are listening to this this podcast and listen to us ramble, you know, like I mean, I don't know, and they don't know Gondry, you know, then go look at Gondry, you know, because Gondry's just just a the, you know, he's he's an education in itself, style and and um, practicalities. I mean, it wasn't probably a day doesn't go by where Gondry comes to my mind in this job, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, what he teaches us is what we know, which is that, is that we have affection for filmmaking. Like we, we connect with it. You know, we connect with the process. We like it, you know, from Jason and the Argonauts to American in Paris to all these very in-camera, tactile, analog worlds. We don't mind that it's a painted backdrop. Something in our brains and our souls connects with it more you know and i think that's what gondry shows us a little bit in that way it's like yeah you know the trick but but you buy it more than say some big fancy post-transition sometimes Mm. so the movie i believe is actually called mood indigo and came out in 2013 it's a new one of his and it's got like if you imagine all of his music video tricks like all the chemical brothers kind of stuff that he did all in one movie um uh check it out um, oh rad yeah check that out yeah mood indigo but the science of sleep is also fantastic and it's got tons of his um his like wonderful artistic flares that he likes to play with um yeah i mean yeah i love i, lo- I mean i love gondry and i love you know at the same time you know like but you know spike and and um and um uh, cunningham you yeah. know like i mean i know that again they're like you know if anyone is a student and they, and they want to check out free directors, I would say check those out. There's box sets out there, DVDs. You can probably find all their stuff on YouTube for their top videos. And if you could, you know, if you could study everything from Spike, Jones, um, Cunningham and Gondry, then you're already like making a good start. So. Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I guess my, my last question really is um, during the quarantine process, what had slash have you been doing to stay artistically motivated? Well, mm, that's a good question, man. As you know, I have two children. Um, that that takes taken up a lot of quarantine. Mm. It's been the best thing about quarantine, spending time with them. And today, um, I was working actually today, but I noticed that my wife was making uh, Gemma was making um, felt donuts with them. Wow! 
And I thought, that's cool, man. And one of them was really good, actually. One of my daughters did a really good job of making a felt donut, so much that I hung it on the door by my desk um, because it's so good. And that's been lockdown, man. That's been my creative um, process during lockdown is to, to do loads of stuff with them. Mm. And, and it's great, you know? Like, I think we are all children at heart, especially in the art department. We like to giggle and we like to hang out with our mates and we like to make things. And we like to get our hands dirty. Yeah, and weirdly, like um, having two young kids is perfect for that kind of thing because you can do all of that kind of art department fun stuff without having to care about if this felt <laughs> donut is the right size of felt donut. <laughs> what colour should the felt donut be? Should there be yeah. sprinkles on the felt donut? <laughs> should it yeah. be double? Is the it size? like? Is it in the brand colours? Is yeah. it reflective of the? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. is it? Um, to aid the narrative and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But um, no, it, it is. It's good. It's guilt-free. It's guilt-free um, craftism. And, and, uh, and I've been indulging in it heavily. And, and, I've been, and I'm, it's, ble- it's a blessing to, to have the time to do it. You know, like, I, I feel that the COVID lockdown um, on, in some parts has been an incredibly positive thing for some people, you know. Because time... Um, in the art department, in film, in life generally is a premium. You're busy and, and it's good to stop and take stock and, and, and just sort of feel how, what time really feels like. I don't feel like we have a really skewed Mm. perspective on what time is, right? Yeah. You're either all guns blazing or absolutely nothing's happening. And in that nothing's happening time, it's just, you're kind of piecing yourself back together from when everything was kicking off. And then it all kicks off again. And um, yeah. yeah. And you're always working on a deadline, mm. right? Because deadlines, deadlines are the biggest shifter of time. Mm. You know, um, yeah, when you've got a deadline, a day is a second. And yeah, and that, and that just that goes on. So yeah, it's been, it's been great to just take the time. And, and, and I actually did my first bit of work today. I don't mind telling you, like I was doing a job, but today I did my first bit of real design yeah. and I was a little bit nervous. Maybe other people are heading back to work and they're nervous about like whether they still got it. And, mm. and actually my boss, my client, my director was very happy with what I did today. Oh, nice. And I couldn't help but think, yeah. And I was like, you know, I was like thinking maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we've come back but a little bit recharged, you know? Yeah, no, I think probably, definitely in terms of emotionally <laughs> recharged, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely, yeah, sorry about that, Max. <laughs> I don't know, it depends how much you've been going to the gym and running around. I, I definitely feel slightly worse for wear on that side. But um, yeah, no, you're right. It's, you know, part of creating this podcast was as a result of, you know, having more time on my hands and knowing that there'd be loads of really interesting people around to talk to. Um, but yeah, so um, thanks so much for your time and um, hopefully I'll see you. <laughs> I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, I'll probably speak to you uh, tomorrow, mate. But um, thank you for having me and, and uh, keep up the good work. Nice. The show's intro was composed by Sam Grail, mixed by Max Bloom, and the artwork was created by Alec Jagodzinski.